0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom abrocha. uh I want to first uh, take note of all the people that are here, and we thank you so much. This, of course, is, is a hesped, not really a hesped, for Rabbi Yeshua Heschel Tversky, Zechert Kodesh Avrocha. During the Toyk of Himeya Shiva, Uh, there's a large uh, amount of people here, and we have a a very big program. We're going to get right to it. Um, I would like to introduce first um, my dear friend, uh, noted lecturer, uh, Moyle, and author of the Magad series. um, A person really doesn't need any introduction, uh, Rabbi Pesach Krohn. Rabbi Krohn, if you would please start the Divrei HaRochah has before,
1: Rabbi Kilo Levitz, I am so honored that you have chosen to ask me to be one of the participants in this great moment of speaking on a great terror personality, Rabbi Dr. Rameshua Heschel Twersky. I was writing down some adjectives that I felt described Rabbi Tversky. I would say he was clever, astute, fearless, and so, so articulate. I want to tell you one of the most clever things I heard him say, and this is a term that we all use, and he asked such an obvious question, and I was surprised why nobody ever thought about it before, and the term is balchuva. Tshuva. Now, we know that there's so many people today, hundreds of thousands that are considered Baal Tshuva. So Rabbi Tversky asked, Tshuva means to return. A lot of these people were never from to begin with. So what are they returning from? How could you call them a bal tshuva? They didn't return from anything. They just became now from for the first time. So he said in his brilliance that he believes the term is different. Tshuva comes from the word answer. Like we ask, like we have the expression Shaila or Chuva, a question and an answer. You know why these people became religious and from? Because they found the answers to life. So they are the bali tshuva. They had the real essence and the answers of the meaning of life, and that's why they became religious. And I think that that's a great, great translation of the Baal Now, in a speech that he gave a number of years ago, he spoke about a new way of thinking, and he said that years ago, it was decided that if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. And he began talking about how silly and how ridiculous that is. Now, on the screen, I see my dear friend from formerly Seattle. Now he's in Harnov, David Tversky, a great writer and a great friend. I had this chutz to stay in his home when I was in Seattle. And he wrote the term that Rabbi Tversky, who was a distant cousin of his, said, those people who feel that they have to go with this concept as if it feels good, do it. They are merely contented cows, just like an animal. If it feels good, the animal will do it. But Rabbi Tursky said, every one of us has to grow. Every one of us has to be able to create. Every one of us has to become one that fulfills their potential. Otherwise, you're just a contented cow. And we have to become bonim laShem HaVekeichem. And how do you do that? And he said, the only way to grow and to create and to fulfill your potential is to be a person of self-esteem. And he said many, many times that he knows people say that he's written 50 or 60 books. He said, I really wrote one book, but in 50 different ways. He was writing about self-esteem. And the reason that he always felt about writing about self-esteem, and he once said that he was addicted to writing because he wanted to get this thought out That the only way somebody can accomplish and fulfill their potential is by feeling good about themselves and self-esteem. Now, when he was living in Pittsburgh, and he was very Hamish with the people that were there, they used to call him Rapshia. And all those people who were addicts from people who came to Pittsburgh, and they would be seen in shuls. They were Rapshia's people, and jokingly, they were called Shiites, right? The Shiites, because they were Rapshia's people. And he would take these people and show them that they had potential and they had capabilities that they didn't even realize. And one of the things that he said, which is so important, and I'm sure that many people have wondered about this, are you a Balgaiva if you have self-esteem? Are you haughty if you have self-esteem? And in his book, Let Us Make Man, on page 19, he once wrote, Self-esteem is based on the realization of one's capacities of what one can do. In other words, if you feel that you're confident that you could do something, that's self-esteem. Vanity is that feeling that you need and want admiration and exaltation for what you have done. So Balgaiva doesn't mean that you feel you could do something. That's great. Everybody has to feel that they can do something and they can accomplish. And a person can be have self-esteem and be humble. But vanity is when you want the credit for it and you want people to give you adulation and to talk about how great you are for doing what you did. So we should all have self-esteem and be confident. And that's what he was able to do to hundreds, if not thousands, of people to show them that they really had koyches that they could accomplish. Now, I want to tell you one of the greatest things that I I ever learned from him. Now, there's a wonderful book. This is my favorite.
0: Rabbi Krohn?
2: You're Uh, on mute.
0: Rabbi Krohn, there was a, uh, um, I'm sorry, there was a problem, a technical
1: problem. If you could just unmute yourself again. Thank you. Okay, good. So I started saying Rabbi that Kron, a, you are muted please unmute okay um, so I'm unmuted now now one of my favorite books that he ever wrote is the book called Visions of the Fathers that's on Pre-K-I-O-V-E-S. and the beauty of it is that every single mishnah is analyzed in a beautiful psychological Have I crone yes your phone your 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 headphone you're muted you need to unmute your I did speaker help me here okay i'm it's i'm yeah. un, can you hear me now
3: yeah
1: i am unmuted now is that okay
3: i can hear you
1: okay now i know me okay so um what when i had to prepare a talk on jealousy that was the first place that i looked i looked in that mishnah which is a very very famous mishnah and Peridal dalekov Chesh, that, that jealousy, lust, and glory can take a person out of this world. Now, in that book that he writes, Visions of the Fathers, look it up. He tells a fabulous story. He tells a story that happened with Rab Leibu Le'Eger. Rab was the son of Rab Shloimeh Eger, who was the son of Rabakiva Eger. Now, of course, Rabbi Kiva Eger Rabbi Eger were tremendous tamid hachamim. In a sense, Litvish style Tamir hachamim. They were not happy. At least Rabbi Shleim Eger was not happy when his son Rabbi Label Eger became a Kotzka chassid. And Rabbi Label went to Kotsk, and he was there for quite a while. Well, when he came back, so his father, Rabbi Shleim Eger, said, nu, what did you learn by the Kotzka? He said, I learned that Hashem rules the world. He said, that's what you learned by the Kotzker? He called in his maid. He called in the Goyesh Maid. And he said to the maid, who rules the world? And she said, well, Hashem rules the world. So Rab Leibola Le- Le- ega said to Rab Leibola, Le- his son, look, she didn't spend time by the Kotzker. And she knows that the Hashem rules the world. So Rab Leibola Le- Le- Ega said, ab- ich she says, but I know. And that introduction is what Rabbi Tversky wrote on this mission. And he writes like this, about kinah, taiva, and Covet jealousy, lust, and glory. He says, as with drugs, so it is it with the pursuit of these other cravings. The person is unable to recognize that what he is doing is self-destructive. The intense craving renders him blind to reality. And even when it's clearly demonstrated to him that he's destroying himself, he's unable to see this. And I'm telling you, this brilliance goes on Mishnah after Mishnah after Mishnah. And anybody who, when you will start learning once again, Pirkei make sure you get hold of Visions of the Fathers. It's absolutely fabulous. Now, there's another thing which every one of you must get. Not only is it brilliant, but it is absolutely hysterically funny. And that is from the Destiny Foundation, from Rabbi Wine. he has a series of CDs and audios, MP3s, of conversations that he had with various people. One of the best, if not the best, at least in my opinion, is the one that he had with Rabbi Tversky. It's called Old Milwaukee, Old Chicago. And these two people who knew each other from the 1940s, Rabbi Wine grew up in Chicago and Rabbi Torsky grew up in Milwaukee, only 90 miles away. They have banter between them. They talk about the old, the new, the past, the future. And they talk about how they both went to public school. And they both talk about, I know you're not gonna believe this, that they were once in a cab with two other Rosh Hashivas. And when they were talking about how those two, Rabbi Wine and Torsky, went to public school as kids, the other Rosh Hashivas said they also did. And they all admitted that they knew how to sing Silent Night. I mean, which Rosh Hashiva today is going to admit that, right? But listen, they didn't have to go to public school. But that's what they learned from their Irish spinster teachers. And it was absolutely incredible. Now, one of the things that Rabbi Wine asks Rabbi Torski is that, and Rabbi Torski was so proud of his parents and his heritage, he said, how did you go to medical school? Weren't you cut out to be a rov? And he felt that he just, there were too many challenges in being a rov, certainly not enough money to raise a family, he felt. And he wrote a letter to the stipler. Now the stipler came from the place of Horner Stiple. And when Rabbi Tversky's father would get a letter from the stipler, he said, brief imagine that's how he spoke about the stipler because they both grew up as friends. And he asked them, should he go to medical school? He was afraid that he might have been be influenced by secular outside influences. And the stipler wrote him five things. And he said, this is how you can be protected. One, never, ever on Shabbos read any secular material, obviously, no medical books, no newspapers. Two, have a sheer and Gemara morning, afternoon, and night. Three, have a seder of Musar 15 minutes every day. Four, make sure that you go to the mikveh often. And five, make sure that you make up a personal tefillah to Hashem after Allah Tsar and ask Hashem that you should not be influenced by outside influences and secular influences. And finally, what I would like to say is that Rabbi Tversky was a very, very big proponent of middai's. And he said that every family should always have on their table the Sefer of Mesir or Chasadikim. And he said, when you sit around at the Shabbos table, it's not enough just to learn Hech Shabbos, And it's not enough to learn various halachas of mitzvahs. That's important, no question about it. But the way that Kalal Yisrael continues and will care for each other is with Midas. And when you learn these type of svarim. And as the stipler told him to have a Musa Seda of 15 minutes, that's how you're going to be able to give it over to the next generation. And finally, this book, Generation to Generation, is also something that really should be obligatory reading, not only for the great stories that Rabbi turski would tell and that his father would tell, but the pride that somebody takes from his ancestors is something that we could all learn from. And you see the humility, the way Rabbi Torsky speaks about his father and those that came before him, he feels that he is only a result. Now, Hanukh Teller wrote a beautiful, beautiful article in today's Mishpacha. And in there, he writes the final story that Rabbi Torsky told. And he told a story about somebody who was much older and was very, very grateful. And this happened just a few weeks ago. And Rabbi Tursky, never he was ill with COVID. His wife was ill with COVID. And he said, look, I'm 90 years old. I've had a good life. I'm grateful to Hashem. He said his father died young. Some of his other family members died young. But he's already 90. And he's grateful. There's so much to learn from this great person. And Rabbi Ramel Kivalevitz, you should be benched that you put this together so quickly and I'm sure the other speakers will have wonderful things to say that we can all learn from this. Yehi Zichrei Baruch, and he was a great person that we can all learn from.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Krohn. And um, and as I think with both he and you, are, his books and yours are some of the most important things on many, many Jewish homes, libraries, and I know it's a it's a, a great schloss to have you here. Uh, we're we're trying to master a whole number of time zones. We have people from all over the world. Um, another person who answered the call, mamish out of the blue, uh, to be willing to uh, speak for us is Rav Yitzhak Adlerstein, and um, and he is. Uh, speaking to us from Eric Sussra on a very, very tight schedule. He is the director of the Interfaith Affairs for the Simon Wiesenthal Center, co founder of Cross Currents, but also a person who knew Rabbi Tversky very well and I know counted him as one of his uh, mentors and friends. Rabbi Adlerstein, if you would please uh, take the mic now at this point.
4: Thank you, Rabbi Kibblevitz, and uh, thank you for providing me this opportunity. It's a real honor. Be able to deliver a few words of harakha for Rabbi Dr. Avram uh, Twersky and also to participate in this uh, august uh, gathering of some of my old friends. Um, to anybody asked to speak for Rabbi Twersky, one of the uh, big problems is that he was so multifaceted. And there uh, to, to catalog just some of his accomplishments would take the hour. So what we have to do, each one of us, uh, is uh, is to focus on one facet of this multifaceted individual. And I'm going to uh, to punt. Uh, mm-hmm. My decision was made decades ago by Rabbi Beryl Wein, who told over one of the classic stories about Rabbi Tversky, but then nailed it, nailed the real takeaway from the, uh, from the story, which uh, was missed every other time that I heard it. With the director of psychiatry at St. Francis in Pittsburgh, and he got a call from um, a local, uh, a local uh, parish priest who says, uh, Rabbi Torsky, we have a favor to ask of you. He says, what is it? He says, well, we have, we have a problem with one of our new associate priests. Uh, he's a rising star. He has enormous talent, but he has a small problem. He's uh, hopelessly addicted to alcohol, and he, he can't make a career of anything, let alone put his wife, life together. So Rabbi Torsky said, listen, Pittsburgh's a big city. Lots of therapists here. Why are you coming to me? So the priest said, uh, please, Dr. Tversky, you know the score. You're a religious person, and you know what will happen if we send this young priest to anybody else. Is stifled and stymied in your life because you believe in this religion, get rid of the religion, and you'll be a free man. And we know that you have too much respect to do that. So he accepted him as a patient. To make a long story short, he worked with him for about a year, individual therapy, group therapy. After a year, he said, I've done what I can for you. Uh, You're off the wagon, and uh, you're free to go. And he did. And two weeks later, I got a call from the same priest. And the priest said, "Uh, Dr. Tversky, what have you done to our young protege? And he said, what have I done? I worked with him for a year and uh, got him off alcohol. He says, yes, we understand that, and we're grateful, but Did you tell him that he can never another sip of alcohol in his life? And Dr. Tversky says, yes, that's correct. Uh, Anybody can easily backslide into their addiction with a, a single instance. So the priest says, so how exactly is he supposed to lead mass? So Dr. Tversky thought for a second, and he said, well, you know, there are Jewish addicts as well. And we, uh, we make kiddish Friday night. And people who have a problem with alcohol use grape juice. He said, you mean you can use grape juice instead of wine? So Dr. he says, yes. This is to think about that. Two weeks later, he gets a call from the Archbishop. So, not that we're uh, questioning your authority, Dr. Tversky, but is it true? Uh, substitute uh, grape juice for wine? And he said, uh yes, says, I don't want to be too nosy, but can you quote a source for that? So Dr. Tversky could have could have cited sources, but he t- he wanted to be contemporary, and he cited a truth of Rav Moshe. Thank you, Doctor Tversky. I'll have to think about that. Another two weeks go by, and he gets a call from the Archbishop again, and he's absolutely sure. He says yes. Let me have that sight again. He gives it to him. Six months go by. And, uh, you don't, he doesn't hear from anybody. Six months go by, the Archbishop calls, and he says, Dr. Tversky, I have good news for you. The Holy Father in Rome agrees with your Rabbi Feinstein. That usually gets chuckles from the audience. And after he did, Rabbi Wein
0: said, well, what does that tell us?
1: Yeah, that's
4: for
0: sure. ah, now, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for interrupting you in the punchline. But if people will please mute themselves. Um, I know if I do it, it might interrupt the speaker itself. So everybody will please mute themselves in order for, that we can hear Rabbi Adlerstein correctly. Thank you, everybody. Oh, yeah. yeah.
4: Start to talk.
0: Um. So Rabbi
4: Wein said, the takeaway from the story is the feeling, the regard that Dr. Tursky had for another human being. He didn't look into galach. Oh, needs this stuff. I'm going to help the guy out. He saw a human being in pain and that occupied 99% of his vision and he was able to react in that way. The, the, the facet of his personality that I'd like to focus upon is his enormous humanity. I, I once asked him about counseling people, especially people in their last months of life. What you tell a religious non-Jew who's really struggling with his or her mortality wants to know how they're supposed to see their life, which is now fleeting in front of them, leaving behind spouses and children. How, how are they supposed to... Let me tell you what's on my mind. If I'm speaking to a Yid, I can talk about Hashgacha, even if we don't... standing that a Kodesh Baruch Hu micromanages our lives... Is in charge of everything. And if we can't see his wisdom, we know the wisdom is there. But what do I tell the non-Jew? Shown him what kind of ashkafa is there, Hashka? Do they have that kind of hashka? Can they aspire to that kind of ashka? Dr. Tversky cut me short and he said, I don't know. When I speak to people, it no matter if they're yidden if they marminim in Hu I use exactly the same Sprach. I use exactly the same tools, I give them the same divrei chizuk. Now I can't I can't tell you what I would put in a long footnote if I were writing a scholarly article about that. It would take me a long time, but it does say something about the remarkable, remarkable humanity of his. I paid a shiva call to his Amana ish uh, should give her the strength to weather this and to put her uh, the rest of her life at May of Esram in uh, in good order. Uh, they had me look through a seventieth uh, birthday album that was provided by people in in pittsburgh it 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 took a small crane to lift it Ruba the Ruba the rub of the testimonials came from non jews all of all sorts of all walks of life now. Dr. Twiskey was certainly one who was appreciated by Anche Shlomeno by people within the Torah community but to see testimonial after testimonial from people who are not in Armachana what they had to say about somebody who was Mekadesh Shem so much because they could relate to him as as a human being he was such a a a proponent of of 12 step programs and he encouraged everyone who came across, who crossed paths with him, to get involved with them. I was still a part of, good part of my life at the time was still was still Kirov, and he said, "You've got to involve yourself with twelve step programs. It's such a wonderful opportunity for Kirov. In, in Los Angeles, he was involved deeply with a Kirov, with a a twelve um, a step program, residential program for addiction that was run by people heavily associated with a non-Orthodox denomination and it just didn't phase him. He saw there were people who needed to be helped and he was there ready to help them. But it didn't stop as something that uh, afforded an opportunity for us to be Makarov people. He said, you learn so much from these addicts. There's so much they have to teach us. Now, It was a Talmud Chacham as this new Safer coming out of his correspondence with the stifler is certainly going to attest. He uh, always had a Dvar Torah for any situation besides an anecdote. He's learning from addicts. He told me one One of the things you can learn from an addict. He said he overheard a conversation once in a 12-step program. You know, people have uh, mentors. The new members are mentored by somebody who's been there before. And the mentor was trying to tell him. About the uh, about uh, you don't have to do it all yourself. It's one of the one of the assumptions of the the twelve step program. There's a higher power who's there helping you. So the younger uh, member, the new the, the the newbie, says to his mentor, he says, and 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 God helped you. He says, absolutely, could never have done it without God. He says, how do you know it was God? And the mentor said, oh, don't be silly. Of course it was God. He was the only one I asked for help. <laughs> so he took, he took inspiration from the Amunapshuta of this, uh, of this, uh, this non-Jew. Uh, Rabbi uh, David Twersky. you're about to get your second shot out of the, uh, the evening. Uh, earlier this evening, you sent me a copy of something that you wrote earlier today. Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Torsky is the longtime maturgoman for, for Rabbi Frand, but uh, certainly a thinker and writer in his own right. So, uh, Rabbi Torsky uh, told me, or uh, sent this article earlier, which said, quoted Rabbi Torsky, Dr. Torsky, as having told him that he was never embarrassed in showing up in any location with his characteristic. Hasidish, well, almost Hasidic Levush. Hasidic Bush plus a Snoopy tie, but that's a that's another story or set of stories. He said he was never embarrassed. He walked into medical conferences, no, no embarrassment. The only time that he was embarrassed was when he walked into Mayasharim once, and he saw people who were throwing stones at police and others who were yelling shiksa and spitting at women who weren't from who were passing through the neighborhood. He said, then he was embarrassed by his lavush. Why was he embarrassed? Because it was embarrassing to him that others should think that he was part of this. He was just so full of of humanity. Finally, one story. I recall from the 1995 AJOP Convention, uh, where he's one of the uh, very appreciated speakers, and uh, it shows his refusal to ignore feelings, feelings of what Torah and ability should, should, should look like because of this this, this this feeling of what a mensch is, what a human being is, especially a Torah Yid. He mentioned um, a, a chazal, a medrash, on the pasuk of Avram looking up, Vayar, Vinei sh- uh, Shloshan Hashem, Vayar, Vayar is the second time. The Medr says, Rav Chaim is closer in one of the Sichas, that the first time Vayar, he saw that they were Anoshim Gedolim, that they were Uyim for the Shechina to be Shor and then Vayar, he saw that they were noy covered zelazen, they were Anoshim Muhuganim. Rav Chaim said. By Styis, we see from this that Avraham was not so impressed by the fact that uh, that they were Roy for the Shechina. What impressed him was only that they were Roy for the Shechina and they were Anashim Mahuganim. Then he paused and he said, Unfortunately, today I know of great Rosha Yeshiva, people no doubt who know far more than I do. And they are a ruyim, no doubt, for the Shechina to be Shora Allahem. But they're not nice people. At which point, a near riot broke out in the AJAP gathering, and uh, it was it was quite funny because people from yeshivas, who nobody ever would have thought uh, their was not a nice guy, sat by calmly in their seats and uh, smiled, while others kind of gave it away by getting up and shouting and protesting. It took quite a while to uh, to restore order. The, uh, this is only a hint of what more could be said, but as somebody commented on, on my blog on Cross Currents, the best stories about Rabbi Dr. Twersky can't be told because those are the stories that deal with the amazing nuance and finesse which he dealt with individual problems and took and had the plates and the courage and the humanity to address things that were tailor made for individuals and that can't be shared with the rest of the world. All we can know is that that entire world is much the poorer with the loss of Rabbi Dr. Tversky, but also very, very enriched by those 90 years. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Rabbi Adlerstein. And again, we wish we had more time with you. And thank you again for allowing us to hear that wonderfully spoken insights. We now have uh, Rabbi Dr. David Fox, who is a forensic and clinical psychologist and professor, an author, and a rov and a Dayan. He worked alongside Rabbi Tversky for many decades as a colleague and friend addressing mental health and spiritual matters in the Jewish world. Uh, He's director of the Crisis and Trauma Services for Lifeline. And uh, I just want to once again state, please, anyone who is entering or is part of it, please mute yourself in order for the experience not only to be appreciated here, but also for the recording uh, to be done in a way that it could spread and people will enjoy listening to it. Again, I'm gonna ask again, I'm gonna mute myself and I ask others to please uh, be uh, cognizant of muting. And then we're gonna have Rabbi Fox. Rabbi Fox, uh, thank you so much. Thank you,
3: Rabbi Gevolevitz. I'm speaking to you from Los Angeles, and I appreciate greatly the foresight, the rapid foresight and the sensitivity that you had in putting together this retrospective on the life and contributions of Gavra Rabba, this very great soul, our beloved Rabbi Dr. Tversky. One of the great Bale Musar of the 19th century spoke about how when we make a on a masehta, we complete learning on a tractate of the Talmud, that our feelings should be like that of saying goodbye to an old friend. And I have reversed that notion in giving a hesped, speaking about someone departed who was dear to me. And I think that the siem of somebody's life, the hespid, should be just like a siem on a Gomorrah. Namely, that you comb through all of the time and the effort, the depth that you invested in this study. And what do you come away with? What can you implement? Implement What's halacha from this learning? And it's so easy looking back at this great man, this gifted clinician, this dear rabbi, it's so easy to speak in very lofty terms about how good he was and the good things that he did. And so many of those attributes and those qualities for many of us are beyond reach. So I'm going to focus just on a few points. Lessons one might learn or take away from Rabbi Dr. Tversky that are lessons that are within our reach. Things that may already be part of our own character, but we can draw on and we can implement and we can utilize in being better people. There was a makkah, a plague of Barad, a fiery hail that hit Egypt. It's biblical. We know about the plague of hail of, of Barad. And what's unique to this plague is when Pharaoh, when the ruler of Egypt approached Moshe Rabbeinu and pleaded with him to pray that God stop the plague. Moshe first says, Katsaisi Esair, I need to walk out of town. I need to leave the city so that I can do that praying. And there's some discussion among the commentaries. Many of us have heard lovely and poignant interpretations of why here Moshe introduces this point that first let me leave the city. Personally, I've never found an interpretation as exhilarating and as inspiring as that written by one of the great Balitosophos, the Riva. And the Riva, Rabbi. you can... I'm sorry,
1: Rabbi, is it possible to speak a little bit louder?
3: Well, I seldom ignore an offer to speak louder. And I'm gonna do my best. I hope this, is, hope this is good enough. I've turned up my microphone, but thank you. So the revolt writes that what makes this Maka different, that Moshe Rabbeinu has to first petition that he be able to leave the city is because where the plague hit because the plague devastated the fields and it destroyed the orchards and it ruined the farmlands and it disrupted the growth in the pastures and it demolished the meadows. And the Reva says that Moshe felt, how can I just give a generic prayer and turn to God to stop the plague? I first have to sensitize myself to what the problem is. Where's the damage? who's hurting, who's suffering. And only when I leave the city and I see the fields and I see the destruction of the property and of the crops and of the people and of the animals, then will I have enough feeling and fervor inside of my mind and my heart and my soul that I can legitimately engage in a prayer to God saying, look what's happening, please stop this. And that lesson is something that's doable that I believe was exemplified by Rabbi Dr. Tursky. He had a sensitivity, not only to the needs of the individual patient, but he went out of the city, he went into the fields. He was among the first in our nation in the Jewish nation, to be fascinated by the world of addictions and to want to make a difference. And he spent time and he listened and he cared and he displayed compassion. And he didn't do it from an academic office. It was Kitsesi year. He went out of the city, he got to listen and he paid attention and he had that sensitivity. Makom Haniachlo avosav this specialization that he developed, it made a contribution to the world, Jewish and non-Jewish alike, but it was because it was not just the compassion of the intellect, but it was the mind and the heart and the soul that were moved, could say, See us here. and that's something that we can do. We can look for ways to sensitize ourselves to the plight of others and to be attuned to them so that we can better align our skills of listening and helping to intervene. And this is a gift that Rabbi Tversky leaves behind for us. He mentioned to me that when he would attend a conference in another city where there wasn't much Jewish presence and he had spare time, and wanted to figure out something he could do with his evening when he wasn't listening to presentations or giving lectures. And he said to me that he looks for a 12-step program that he can sit in and listen to the people who are expressing their plight, who are vocalizing their agony, who are struggling with their addictions, And he says he goes to better sensitize himself to what people go through, what the struggle is, where the suffering is. And then he added to me that when people engage in recovery and they're seeking the help and they're in search of ways to grow to make their lives better, that's when they become honest. And this was a quality that we saw in him whether in his clinical work or in casual conversations at many a nefesh conference, that he spoke clearly and he spoke honestly and he was very direct, yet he modeled something that's within reach for all of us. And that is, let's be honest with ourselves, in our subculture as Orthodox learned Jewish adults, with the time pressures and with the premium that we put on being right so much of the time when we listen to other people we want to say what we want to say we may look for many ways to slug up to refute or discount the opinion of someone else and we are so prone to argumentative discursive analysis that much of the time we go into a debate or discussion and we come in with our views and we leave with our views because we're not attuned to what someone else has to say. And I never saw this in him, never. I don't use that word often, never. But I never saw this in him because whether it was a debate, whether it was an argument, whether it was a halachic discussion or a matter of looking at therapeutic or diagnostic methodology, He listened to what someone else had to say. He didn't foist his opinion on others. He wasn't interested in discounting someone else's view because he felt that his view was superior, although at times it may have been superior and it may have been correct. But a a facet of being honest is the honesty, to listen to people whose views you may oppose without the agenda of having to refute them, but to give each person a chance to listen to himself or herself think, and to recognize that when there are opportunities to compare views and perspectives, sometimes we will grow from that. And sometimes we're willing to change our own mind. And that was another quality that I saw in him. Many years ago, I had a graduate student, God-fearing young man, not Jewish, and his doctoral research, his dissertation, was on 12 step programs. And I happened to be the chair of his dissertation of his committee. And I can remember Randy coming over to me, this goes back to the 1980s. And he said, Dr. Fox, I have a question and I think it's what you'd call a Talmudic question. And he was looking specifically at one of the 12 steps that speaks about the importance of identifying a higher power. And he asked me, does the type of perception of your higher power, which is going to vary with religion because Jews, Orthodox Jews are going to envision or perceive their higher power different than Buddhists and different than Catholics and different than Lutherans and different than the Shinto and different than the Muslim. So he asked me, does the concept of higher power how you envision the God concept, will that in any way correlate with whether or not you can use that higher power to get past an addiction? Are there certain religions or people from specific religions who do better in recovery because they have a more sophisticated sense of what that higher power is? And I told him that that in itself was a dissertation and that would be worth pursuing. And he said, when I've done my my literature research, I keep coming across this person who sometimes talks about addiction and spirituality and his name in his articles is A. Tworsky. do you know him? And I said, yes, I consider him a colleague and a friend. And he said, could you introduce me to him? And I did, this was before email. And I put in a phone call to Dr. Tworsky. And I said, I have a non-Jewish graduate student who'd like to pick your brains about something. Can you make time for him? And he said, of course, give him my number. So Randy spent quite a long time in a series of phone calls with Dr. Kursky, who as we heard from Rabbi Adlerstein was just as open in sharing and just as sensitive and caring whether the person was Jewish, religious, non-Jewish made no difference. And so this whole dissertation project was flavored with the essence of Rabbi Tversky, who helped him think this through, who cited research, who gave him documentation to explore, so that his hakira, his Talmudic question about whether the God concept correlates with success and recovery, whether there's something there or not. Uh, anyone who wants information about the dissertation, now is not the time or place for that but you can certainly contact me. I've shared this with many rabbis before. So this is my retrospective of this great man, this colleague to many, this friend to many, that he was concerned and interested and sensitive and he acted on that. He reached out to people and he listened and his compassion and his empathy was not just in theory, but it's something that he honed and he developed and we can learn to do that too. Go out of the city, could say, say yes, listen, listen with a caring heart. Second, just in reviewing what I've said, he made a difference. He found a specialization. He became masterful within his specialization in addition to multiple other gifts, both in learning Torah and in being a congregational rabbi and being a mentor and being a clinician. But he made a difference. He found a need that was addressable and he excelled at it. And that's something that's also within reach for many of us. He valued honesty. He spoke with honesty and he prompted people to be direct and to be truthful, and that so much of therapeutic recovery and so much of Orthodox Jewish life, as has been said, is really hinging on whether we're honest with others and honest with ourselves. And then, as I said, my final two points just in review, that it didn't make a difference who a person was. If you could lend an ear if he could lend a shoulder, if he could lend a hand, if he could offer counsel, wise counsel, he paid attention. And that's something that we can do, it's within reach. Not to be condescending, not to be cynical, not to be dismissive of other people because they're not as bright or not as from or not as put together as we think we are. And then this final quality that I think is also within our reach beyond the going out, the sensitivity, the building, the innovation, the caring, the non-discriminatory approach. When we talk with other people, be they colleagues or congregants or friends or those we're hoping to be macabre because we're doing that as Rabbi Adlerstein said, by trying to be nicer people, listen to them. Don't be so quick to refute and to argue. Don't be so hasty to insist that your view is the accurate view. Show the decency, show the respect for the thinking, the experience of someone else. And let that be very clear in the ways that we communicate that this is not just about compassion, but it's about conveying and bestowing respect on one another. Let's not be so quick to show that we can slug them up, we can outsmart them, that our logic is better than theirs or that our ideas matter more than theirs. Let's learn to be receptive and open and collaborative and participatory in the way we communicate. And in living by these reachable, attainable, tenable standards, we will be promoting the enduring legacy of those things which are doable as modeled for us by Rabbi Dr. Tursky, Zichro Boruch.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Rabbi Fox. And uh, I think you've put the first brick in the wall about filling that incredible vacuum. And, uh, and, and I, it's a very big source to hear from you. And uh, I hope that we'll be able to hear from you again in the future in some fashion. Um, uh, Rav Chaim Tursky, um, who is the nephew of the Nifter, um, agreed um, to be part of this event. Um, he is someone that uh, I respect dearly and uh, I've known for many years, the reshiva of Beis Medrashvotorah, in the Skokie, and also the Rav of Beis Chaim David uh, in Linkwood, a, a Moira Hayra, and someone who uh, was very, very close to his to his uncle. And I know that uh, in the midst of the pain, uh, it, it is always difficult to try to to articulate and speak. Rabbi Twersky, if if you would please,
2: yes. To the world, he is Doctor. Abraham Twersky. To me and to the members of the family, his Uncle Shia. That was his name that he was called in the family. Avram Yeshua Hershel, his father called him Shia, and that was that was he when he related to the family. He is uh seventeen years my senior, and I remember him as uh a young man in his twenties. I remember him as the assistant rabbi in my, say, the shul. And I used to hear his weekly drasha. Uh, at that time, I was young. Uh, he was in his mid twenties. I was nine, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 11, 12. Those years, no, not 12, 11. At the time I was twelve, he had already left to Pittsburgh. But that's how I I remember. He was also the head of the. He ran the Talmud Torah during those years. I remember when he went to medical school. I remember that story with Danny Thomas. These were these were part of my memories of of him in his in his younger years. He, in the in the world he's known for his brilliance and his and his illustrious career but they don't know about his wonderful sense of humor his his uh, warm personality and in relationships with his family the love he had for the children and the nephews and the nieces and the grandnephews and the grandnieces he was just a wonderful person but I want to focus a bit on the, on the enormous accomplishments. His, um, yeah, his enormous accomplishments. He, he, began, he began his career as a rabbi. He started off uh, with, his, uh, with his, he had a smicha. And his smicha wasn't just a plain smicha. He got smicha from the ordinary roof. He graduated high school at 16. At the age of 17, he joined uh, the yeshiva that was started by his mother's brother. His uncle, the Babarov, had just come from the Holocaust in, in Europe and started to rebuild Babav. Now it's a big institution. At that time, it was a small beginning. And he started with the yeshiva, and he learned. And that year that he spent in Babov, he learned in yeshiva. He covered 150 block Gemara, Rashi, Tosas, and Rishonim. Major requirement. When he came to uh, back to Milwaukee, went to yeshiva in Chicago. He learned by Rabbi Kreisworth. Rabbi Kreisworth uh, was a stupendous genius who memorized all of the shots to the point, to the point literally that if you put a pin through the through the through the page he'll tell you which more or less which lay which which word is going to go through on each page that's how that's how uh, how he uh, how well he knew Shah's and he was a brilliant man he told my uncle once you know i prepare this year for you and you alone because you're the only one who can can grasp what i'm saying and and, and uh, he was a brilliant brilliant but he realized that that was not going to be his calling he thought that he, he, he wanted to help people. He, his, his desire to be a Rav wasn't just to, just to know how to learn and how to teach Torah. He asked, as I mentioned before, he asked the, the stipler. At uh, that time, he was communicating with him by, by letters. He, and he, he has a Sefer, I'm sure, that's going to be reprinted. I think it's called. he called it Magadival Yaakov, and then I think he changed the name. But his, his correspondence on the, on the level that the disciple said, it's amazing to me that a person who has devoted only a, a, part, part, a part of his day to learning should have such depth as a Talmud Kotham who's been learning for many, many years full time and with, with, with the depth of a tremendous London, which he was. He was a tremendous London. But then he went on, he said, I feel I have to help people. And I have to do this. He realized that he had to do so in the, in the course of in the world. People are going to psychologists and psychiatrists. That's what he decided, how he can help people. In this, he was a pioneer. I think he is the first person who was both a Rav and a psychiatrist. I don't know how many people have followed him. There, but he was certainly the first. But more importantly, he opened up the career for for b'nai torah and for and for the for orthodox judaism there were very very few jewish orthodox psychiatrists in the 1960s when he started he is a pioneer now there are hundreds and they're so needed he realized it he recognized it and he opened up the he opened up the field right at, towards the beginning of his field of psychiatry he recognized the tremendous problem of, of alcoholism and alcoholic addiction. He once told me, right at the beginning, he said if the government was smart, they would throw all their money just on this one problem. It, was, it would solve so many other problems. And uh, shortly, I don't know, shortly after, but sometimes afterward, he realized this he had decided I need to create an institution and he created gateway rehabilitation institution he had already developed an expertise in how to deal with alcoholism successfully and uh, he opened up this institution it was a is an amazing achievement that's not him he, in order to in order to do that he had to be a fundraiser he hated fundraising but he knew that that's what he had to do in order to make this institution it was maybe a decade into the into the into the program he once mentioned they finally, finally were breaking even. I don't, have to, I, don't have to, I don't have to fundraise for this. Thousands and thousands of people were helped. And at one time, he was just about the only person in the Jewish world who was able to help an Orthodox Jewish person in alcohol addiction and then later on in drug addiction. I don't know how many times I was called. You must get me in contact with your uncle, Doctor Twersky. I have such a major problem. My son, my my brother, whatever may have been the case, get me get me his number. Allow me to to speak to him. He was open so far so for everyone. In my estimation, we talk about people who are Godole In my estimation, he was the gadol he was the greatest person in the, in the generation and his ability to help so many people and his ability to empathize with so many people and his wisdom, but he didn't think so. He wrote once that I, I don't think I have Das Torah. So why do you say that? So he said, I'll tell you why. There was a, a someone came to me with the problem that this I think, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly whether the shadow, but I think the problem was that his wife was pregnant and she was in serious depression. And there was concern that the depression would lead to suicide. So they wanted a heter for an abortion. They asked me, I didn't want to take this as a difficult question. I couldn't take that on my shoulders. So I called up Moshe Feinstein. And I asked him, is it, is it permissible under these circumstances? This is the, sh- the Shiloh that we have to deal with. Is this, a, is this an issue of Pikuach Nefesh? I think he held that it was. And Ramashia said to him the following Tell me, do you think under, the woman is being under several pressures? She has many children, the poverty in the house. Do you think? That if there was a lot of money in the home and they could hire people to help her out, do you feel that the that the, the pressure would be off her to some extent that she would no longer be in danger of willing to take her own life? So my uncle said, I can't say for sure, but probably yes. He says, Okay, then the solution is this. Someone has to go out, maybe you or others have to go out and raise the money so that should happen. So so he said, it didn't occur to me. That that should be the solution to the problem. It was the immediate it was the immediate understanding of Moshe Feinstein. He has Das story. I'm afraid I don't. Well, to Arav, the solution is, is always a problem of of raising funds for the problem. There's people who are impoverished. There's people that need uh, there's uh, there's uh, medical needs and there's uh, customer needs and there's so much of the needs that fall on the on the rub. So that was his solution, and it's not a doctor's solution to raise money. So why he understood it and and that was his first answer and that was not your first answer, is more a professional issue than anything else. But when it comes to understanding what's the right thing to do, I don't think there was anyone more capable than Uncle Shia. His focus on self-esteem was the, four, was the was, that was his initial book, his first book that he wrote, and he was in his mid forties. The name of the book was "Like Yourself, and Others Will Too." It was a book, I think, of about fifty some chapters of how the lack of self-esteem led to a particular problem to a particular person. And he was able to string together how important and how vital health is to, with uh, obtaining a self-esteem and the loss of self-esteem ruins life for the person himself. And uh, that became the focus of his 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 career in fighting, in fighting alcohol addiction and, and drug addiction and all sorts of addictions is it, a result in his feeling of, 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 of despair due to the lack of self-esteem. One of his is uh, regarding, it's, uh, I'm under his many, so I got to recommend some of his one. Tversky and Chumash and living each week and living each day are full of, wonderful gems. I, I use these uh, Diveri Torah often in my weekly drashas because they're so uh, so full of wisdom and so practical. One of the things he talks about is uh, the issue of freeing slaves. There's uh, a story in me that's brought in one of our of Torahs, I think it's in the end of Igra, that talks about uh, you hear me uh, saying there was a risk that was made, a covenant that was made to free your slaves at the end of six years, and you're not fulfilling it. So they all went and they agreed and they they com- committed themselves to freeing the slaves, the, the Jewish slaves. After that time, they went back and they recaptured those slaves. They couldn't, uh, they couldn't tolerate the fact that they lost their slaves, so they went back and recaptured them. And Yirmiyah Hanavi told them then, Hashem is very upset with you. It's going to cost you, gullis, and it didn't help. So what is this? The desire to control other people is so strong that they're willing to chance and uh, chance Hashem's wrath and uh, disagree and uh, with a with an agreement that they had previously made. What is the desire for control? What does it come from? It comes from a lack of self-esteem. If I feel happy with myself, I don't have to control other people. The, this, the concern that we have in our in our lives in our society today is not uh, small with regard to spousal abuse. Abuse. It's one of the one of the things he championed with. Great difficulty. He had created a lot of flack by exposing a problem that the society has. Not, of course, not every marriage, it's, a small, it's maybe a small percentage, but it, it's destructive to a great degree. It's not only about child abuse, some, the abusiveness in the homes. He said, you know what the result is? It's a result of lack of self esteem. So many things can be corrected with self esteem. And he had to make a distinction because it sounded like he was promoting Gaiva. And as uh, a previous speaker said, no, Gaiva and self-esteem are not only uh, self-esteem. Not only are they not synonymous; they are they are contradictions to each other. A person with self-esteem can be a non-of. A person who doesn't have self-esteem is likely to to become a big gaiva He has to blow himself up to cover his his feelings of inadequacy. There's so much wisdom in my uncle. Had he written just one of those books, it would have been an indelible and important contribution to Jewish society as a whole. 90 books is superhuman. 90 books on top of his, on top of his, major, his major work of, of, in psychiatry and helping so many hundreds and even thousands of people over the years, each one is an individual. He having the time and the, and the energy to produce so much. Any, and any one of them would have been. But I have to recommend several of them. The book that uh, previously recommended on Abbas on is, is uh, I think then he has a, a book, Lights Along the Way, on the on, on Messiasi Shorim. The Enemy Within, a discussion of the Yetzirah and how how it controls people and how you could beat the Yetzirah. The book, Effective Living, which understands uh, gives understanding to human psychology. These are just some um, Tversky and Chumash I mentioned, and, and uh, Living Each Week and Living Each Day. There's so many. And, and his book's on, on peanuts. Uh, his, his Peanuts is a discovery of human nature that uh, was recorded by Mr. Schultz, and he did not recognize the wisdom that he himself was uncovering. Because he's not a psychologist. He said, Rabbi Twersky, Dr. Twersky, you opened up for something that I didn't even realize I was doing. We lost, we had, we had a treasure in our midst. We, we lost a great, great person. We don't live forever. We have to be thankful for the 90 years that grant, Hashem granted. This great and wonderful person. Our hearts bleed, and I wish we could say that we could make up some way and somehow, but we—I don't think we can. We have to take what he left behind and have it affect our lives to whatever extent we can. Thank you so much, Rabbi Tursky. Um I want to end
0: the. Uh... Program and on just perhaps one little note, and I'm gonna a- a- indulge, ask people to indulge me for a minute. Um, and uh, I'm gonna share screen just one little thing here. Um, a bracha that, um, that the stipler who has been mentioned uh gave to Rabbi Tursky, and I, I hope I've. And based on, I think, uh, R- Rabbi Twersky's birthday, uh, he would have been barely 25 years old, if 25. The, and Rabbi uh, Tversky, Rav Chaim Twersky, mentioned, of course, his genius and how Rav Chaim Chrysworth made the shidduch between the two. Here is what the, the stiper said. Yale, male, male, legoin, le-teferes That's somewhat of an unusual statement. But I think that that brocha was Neskayim and and I think all of our speakers have emphasized that. We understand Midas of Chesed and Gvura. We understand Midas of passion and, and, and loving kindness. But the synthesis, the ability to be able to synthesize without any sense of discord in such a dispassionate, incredibly beautiful way, that is the Mida of Teferis. Teferis is what allows, it's also called, of course, the Mida of Yaakov Avinu, but it's also the Mida that allows Klal Yisrael to be Mashpi on the rest of the world. So what allowed Rabbi Twersky to stride so magnificently, to be not only the, the wonderful Machaber of Hasidus and, and and critique, but also uh, to be able to, to be the Lamda Notzum to be the leader that he was in all the fields, I think was the hisgashmus, the realization of midas Tiferes, and that is something as we've said is something that uh, can lead clearly um, to the gula I, I, I just i don 't want to go over on this, but if I can end with something that the Nifter himself wrote, and I can share that with you here, I called it today from. So, from the Zayin Vanocho, and some goals that Shoyin that there's going to be a time when we don't have these tzaraas anymore, and there's not going to be um, uh-huh. the pain. And Aiden the Mitzvatan, the Zayin Vinch and Afrelech and Tishabov, we're going to be able to say that. The uh, and this part I thought was really beautiful. Um Meshiach Vit Pravana Sudasya Maywedis. When the Mashiach comes, there's gonna be a um a great birthday party for Meshiach. But after we say Mazatov to the Mashiach, we're gonna go to Shurim and Pilpulim in the the Yeshivas. And of course here if I could just move everybody here for a second. Hillel and Shammai, Rambam and Ravid, Ktzeis and Nesivus. And of course, his wonderful poetry, his mastery of any language, as you can see, the beautiful poem. That that's what it's going to be about. It's going to be about a period where of love, understanding. Shammai, Hillel, Ktzeis and Nesivus. The Kor of Mamish, Gur and Gichin, the Makabul Punim. Zain Meshichen, it's going to happen quickly. On Friday night, even Harabayas, volunteers, Zamen, Kumen, all the tzaddikim and This again is Rabbi Twersky's vision of that future. That on the on the eve of Shabbos evening, on Friday night, will be at Harabayas, all the tzaddikim and kadoshim, and Moshe Rabbeinu, v'Zain Beroshim, and Hashem Alchemitz v'Zingin v'Chadidi l'Kreskala and Roshan Alkabitz will be singing the L'chadoidi because of course, who else would you want to be leading the Zmir- today? But then Rabbi Torsky says, he's gonna go there as well. And of course he felt himself a M'chutzev, somebody who was a critic, a person who understood uh, the world, who was able to, to comment when necessary. As you heard from Rabbi Adlerstein, the I think there's a mistake here, I don't know if it's Siddharth to the moment, but he's going to stand next to the moment, and the chazen will be davening, but next to him will be Rabbi Tversky himself. And Rabbi Tversky will raise his voice. He's going to give out a kvetch to the Lubavitcher that he's writing this grommet about. But the point is that he's going to be there and say, We should save your Shomru. These images of that I know contrast so much with what Rabbi Fox and others have said, but I thought it really tells you this, this image of this greater world that Rabbi Twersky held out for us that we could hopefully make happen. So if we could all perhaps take some of these messages to Vinav Kuyam Givarn, that we will be able to to see this Uvda happen with Rabbi Tversky himself once again um, standing there by the Omid Bihislavus and we should uh, be able to come out of this this terrible time that we're in. Thank you again everyone for, uh, I know that Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.